I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. Stu, uh, football season's right around the corner. I know you and I both love to snack, and we hit up Trader Joe's for some of our favorite things that are in the kitchen. What are you looking forward to enjoying as you sit down on your couch to watch? Yeah, definitely the pita crackers. The Trader Joe's pita crackers are my favorite. I might as well just go, go over there now and buy about 10 boxes, right, to get me through the season. What about you? Uh, for those pita crackers, I would recommend the spinach and kale Greek yogurt dip. I know if you're like somebody who's like, oh, there's a bunch of things there I probably wouldn't eat. Try it. It's really, really good. You will end up finishing the whole bag, probably as Stu does and as I would. So can't wait. Can't wait for uh, even week zero. But Stu, um, let's talk about week one. There's a lot of really good games. I think mm-hmm. we can tee up Uh, We're going to get to the mailbag later. We're going to get into a a documentary you and I both watched uh, on Manti Teo. We're going to have an interesting discussion, I think, on it and how it kind of opened. At least it opened my eyes. I'm curious if you got the same reaction. Um, But first, I thought we'd play this little kind of game where we would go through what we think are the games that are most intriguing to us in the biggest, in the the first opening week of the season, not really week zero, but the following week. Well, we can't throw the Northwestern Nebraska game in there just for the, Oh, I'm, I can't wait to watch. I can't wait All to right. watch that. I actually want to watch UConn and Utah state too. What about Vanderbilt, Hawaii? Count me in. Yeah. Timmy Chang's first game. Heck yeah. All right. So, so we'll, we're not going to go through every single game. We'll pick the the most prominent ones. And here's what I want to do. Um, we'll say the game and then each of us gives it a, a, I would say one through 10, but if we're bringing it up, we're probably not going to give it a two. So let's say one through five. Got it. Five, like recruits. Is it a five-star, four-star, whatever game? All right. Okay. And so- let's, yeah, let's start right up the bat. August 27th, live from Dublin, Ireland, Nebraska, Northwestern. Uh, lots of pressure on Scott Frost. For that weekend, it's an absolute five for me. If it was in the context of everything else, when I say when I think of five, it's like I gotta see it. It's a must see game. Four is I'm gonna try to do everything I can to see as much as I can. Three is if I'm on the couch, it's gonna be in my rotation. Um, so I'm gonna say that's a five. Wow, two, three, and nine teams teeing it up from last year. You're gonna give it a five. I mean, it's a five if you're only in the context of that weekend. If we're talking week zero and week one combined well let's say this if this game were on the first saturday okay well if this game were on the first full saturday it would be a three i'm moving it up to a four because it's the first game of the season and uh i remember the number watching every minute of the nebraska illinois uh week zero game last year 
because it's the first season. I also feel like every week there, you might, there's like picture like, um, you know, uh, like your gas gauge. And is it full? Is it getting more full? Is it getting more empty? That's going to be Scott Frost every week of this season. Yeah, I think for that factor alone, the pressure on him and what a loss could do for him. I'm not saying they're going to fire him on the flight back from Ireland, but that's just a, to me, this is a probably about as much of a must win game as, as you get in terms of like, man, I just think it's, it's going to be a, a get dark and stormy if they can't beat that Northwestern team on the way there. Um, I mean, it's one that, of the most, it's not often that a coach, you know, we talk about coach on the hot seat. I mean, this one is like, we know his job, he's going to have to have a really good season to come back. And you're right. This is one of the games that's going to happen. This is probably one of the games you have to win. Now, why don't we skip ahead to the Thursday night, Penn state at Purdue Fox, 8 PM Eastern game. And by uh, the way, you can't let your employer, you, you I have, know you've got to you'll, leave that out of it. Okay. Um, can there be 0.5s or no? Uh, sure. Okay. I'm going to give it a 4.5. Aiden O'Connell, really good quarterback. I think Jeff Brom's got added some transfer skill guys. Penn State, it's, you know, this is a tricky opener for the for the Nittany Lions. I give it a 4.5. I'm worried about your grading curve. You're going to worry about it a lot more when something else comes up Thursday night, trust me. But your first two, tell me, I'm not sure you're going to have a single one below four, but let's see. I will, I will. Uh, Penn State, Purdue, I'll give it a four. Um you know, there's, is, is this going to be the year for Sean Clifford and James Franklin? Is this, are they going to actually field a, a big 10 title contender type team? And then, yeah, you, like you said, there's Purdue, you know, always the possibility to be a sneaky, good team. Uh, you know, again, if it was on Saturday, maybe I'd bump it down one, but on Thursday, it's a four uh, because the other game that night is, the return of the backyard brawl, West Virginia at Pitt. I'm giving that a 10, Stu. So <laughs> <laughs> this, I know this is the one you're going to have a problem with me on. I, I The intrigue I have in this, because you have the two old USC quarterbacks, uh, JT Daniels, and then the guy who really kind of overtook him for the job, Keaton Slovis. Their old offense coordinator now is at West Virginia, Graham Harrell. Um, I just, I mean, it's, to me, this rivalry feels as much like football as anything. Um, so whatever we're ranking, as, if it was 1 to 10, this would be a 10. If it's 1 to 5, this is a 5 for me. I'm just so excited that it's back. I mean, this is one of those series that was rivalries that was unnecessarily you know, put on hiatus for a decade because of realignment. These two teams should be playing each other every year. Um, I, do, I agree with you about the quarterback situation. I do wish... West Virginia was a little bit better. Um, I will give it a four. Ooh, okay. That surprised me. I thought you'd be higher. Anything on Wednesday. I'm trying to save my fives for the actual like blockbuster games. Anything on Friday, September 2nd. Can I interest you in Vatek ODU in Illinois, Indiana, TCU at Colorado? I mean, I'm sure I'll be watching those games, but I don't know that, uh, that they need to be graded. Does any one of those grade above a 3.5 on your grading scale? Uh, no, I don't see anything more than a three on here, but I would be curious of those five, which one is the most interesting to you? 
of the five. Um, um, I would guess, uh, you know, I, I mean, realistically, I would probably lean towards, I want to see what Sonny Dykes and TCU do. I don't think CU is going to be that good, but you have a new coaching staff at Colorado. I would say probably that one. Um, although I'm curious to see what Indiana looks like after being really good in the pandemic and then really bad last year. Um, I mean, mine's Western Michigan, Michigan state, just because Michigan state is the only team in this of the 10 listed here. That could be a possible, you know, big 10 title playoff mm -hmm. contender. So I want to, I mean, Western Michigan might not be the best gauge, but I do remember vividly they opened against Northwestern on a Friday night last year. And that was the Kenneth Walker, uh, coming out party. So, by the way, uh, this drives me crazy, but ESPN has scheduled that one for seven and TCU Colorado for 10. And as we know, there's zero chance <laughs> the first game will be over by 10. I don't know why they do that. All right. Saturday, September 3rd, week one, first full Saturday. Um, the noon window, not going to lie, a little light. Uh, Colorado State, Michigan is your ABC game. It looks like there is no big noon uh, Fox. Game. There is not. There is not. NC uh, we, State, uh, East yeah. Carolina on ESPN. Um, why don't we skip that window? Uh, okay. You know what's interesting, actually? The 330 CBS game, because I think for whatever reason in that contract, they don't actually start showing SEC games till week three. So the week one game is Arizona at San Diego State. Uh, I will give that a four. I want to see Jaden Galora and, you know, one of the most exciting freshmen in the country, Tedaroa McMillan, got amazing ball skills. I think Arizona will be much improved. San Diego State's pretty good. It's, it's on the road. You know, maybe this is a future Pac-12 game. Who knows? Um, You're going to make me, last week people pointed out that you said something like, something about me being a curmudgeon. And now you're going to make, you're setting me up to be that this week. Because I'm always, it seems like I'm always going to be a half to a point below you. You just well, gave four you are stars. Such a, you are such a good grade. You are such a favorable grader when it comes to your coaching grades. Right. And you are such a downer on <laughs> the, we haven't had football in like whatever, nine months. You just, and... I'm, the, believe me, I'm, I'm, give, give, you know, actual week one as a whole five, you give it a 15, right? I'm excited for it, but if you're picking these individual games, you just gave a four. To a game involving an Arizona team that well, went, I told what, one in eleven why. last I told year. You why? Yeah, I, it's be it, if it was the Arizona team that the roster that won a, that won one game, I wouldn't. This team wouldn't even be in our discussion. But it's not. You have a quarterback who was really uh, dynamic at Washington State and one of the best freshmen in the entire country. And I want to see him. And San Diego State gets after people on defense. So I I do think it'll be um, Arizona's gonna be a lot better this year. A, a dark horse bowl team after being so terrible the last few years. This one is a 3.5 for me. Okay, I'm going to help you out, Stu. Also in that window, Oregon, Dan Lanning's first game with a ton of freaks on his team, going against his old school in Georgia on the road, the defending national champs. Please don't tell me it's anything under a five. That's my first five. Okay, thank uh, you. Yeah, I want I'm. I'm both sides. I want to see what Georgia, new look Georgia looks like, you know, without – all those dudes on defense that went to the NFL. I'm actually, uh, I believe Georgia will have, first of all, Georgia had a very underrated offense last year. Nobody could just, Stu, nobody wanted to accept that. Can I pause you for a second here? 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a little bit of a tease. We have a good mailbag question from Gordon in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, that's much right. About this game. So just say it's a five. It's a five. And we will, we will, we will, well, let's explain the Georgia part. Um, I think their offense was very underrated last year. Nobody could believe Stetson Bennett was as good as he was. And this year's Georgia offense will probably be taking it up a notch or two from that one uh, because there's no more quarterback uncertainty. Uh, They're ridiculous set of tight ends. Um, Okay. Cincinnati, same window. This is going to be a busy window. Cincinnati at Arkansas. Uh, I think Arkansas 4.5 for me. Really? All yep. right. I was going to say four. All right. I finally came in above you on one. Um, Arkansas is really fun to watch. KJ Jefferson is a really fun quarterback to watch. I think they could surprise some people this year. And then obviously Cincinnati coming off the playoff season, but having to replace Desmond Ritter and bunch of those stars on 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 defense like basically it's almost like this is a um cincinnati proved itself last year so i don't know if they necessarily need to prove themselves in this game but if cincinnati could win at arkansas who i weren't they ranked in the ap top 25 yeah 23 and night 23 against yeah. arkansas is 19 okay so it's a top 25 game and if cincinnati beats arkansas on the road it's going to be a sign that hey this this program is built to last yeah, excited to see Arkansas. They have a bunch of really good transfers led by Drew Sanders, who came from Alabama. I know they're excited on the excited about those guys. Um, I will be, you know, here I am. I'm going to not give Cincinnati enough credit, but I, I will be surprised if Arkansas does not win that game. But we will see. For me, it's a four, just because you guilted me into not overgrading everything. Um, <laughs> by what I'm going to include also in that window, you're probably not going to be happy with me. But Houston at UTSA. Well, if you're going to include that, then I've got a bunch more we got to include in that window. Well, I, the reason uh, why I'm including it, Houston is is 24th in the poll. I think Houston can be a top 10 team. I think Houston can be a top 10 team. I mean, I think Houston could be, I don't know if I want to call them this year Cincinnati because I think that was a, everything had to. That's oh. what I would say. But there's, where's the Notre Dame game on? You know, Cincinnati got the oh, playoff because they, they I, beat I Notre Dame. Part, but I think they'll they, be the best group of five team. That's all. Okay, I'm I'll give you that. So I think that's absolutely possible. I also think it's absolutely possible I lose to UTSA because UTSA is good. So, so okay, you're gonna I'll, say four and a half. That's an intriguing game. I'll I'll four give it a I'll give it a um four and a half. I'll give it a three point five. All right. <laughs> okay. I will give it <laughs> I will give it a four, just like I gave Cincinnati and Arkansas. Um all right, I'm gonna give you a a, a curveball here. Um although <laughs> actually I don't think I'm gonna be able to watch it. Rice at USC, Lincoln Riley's debut game at USC, Caleb Williams, all of it is on Pac-12 Network. Uh, yeah, I won't be able to watch it unless somebody, somebody uh, uh, what's that thing that we used to have that you could watch like UFC fighting? Never mind. It was like that, um, cutting it out. This uh, is actually I my will... first year without it. I always had Dish and I always had Pac-12 Network. Ironically, given I just wrote this uh, or co-wrote this huge Pac-12 Network oral history on Monday. I'm now a YouTube TV guy, so this will be my first year without it. You've got that game. You've also got UTEP at Oklahoma. Oh, Big Fox, UTEP at Oklahoma. The Brent Venables era begins. But I have to imagine that game will be quite lopsided. Yeah, um, I'm going to go Lincoln Riley debut three. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
What did you just ask me? You, we haven't talked you, to Utah, Florida. Or what did you just ask me? It was I Oklahoma. Said you, no, it's UTEP, UTEP at Oklahoma on Fox. Uh, are you sticking the on Fox on me just to get to, to just to give it a little it. legitimacy that this game's not airing on like the the you know I, or I, something. I will I will bump it to three just because it's my old crew and mm-hmm. I would want to snipe my slight my producer Bo Garrett's work. I think they have an Oklahoma double because they have Oklahoma State on Thursday night. Um, so you're saying this is a Joe Davis game? No, no, Joe. Um, Joe is actually the number two NFL uh, crew this year. So, oh, why don't you Joe unveil is, for us then? What's the what's the Fox College football teams this year? Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. But I, I mean, well, I just I don't know, maybe I just tip my hand on Joe. Um, so. Well, Rocky here, I'll, I'll I'll break one of them because I can say whatever Jason, I want. Jason Benetti. Jason Benetti from ESPN. That's going to be great. Replaces Joe. Still my old uh, production team will be there and Brock. Um, and just want to assure everybody that the Tim Brando, Spencer Tillman, uh, number three game of the week will still be very much a thing. Yes. Okay. So... Utah at Florida. It's got to be a five, right? I mean, Billy Napier's first game, we think Utah is a top eight team, right? Uh, Anthony Richardson's special quarterback. That's got to be a five, right? I can't put it at five because that would mean it's the sa- of the same level as the game that we're about to do next that involves two top five teams. So this one will be a 4.5 for me. Why don't you make it a 4.7 and I'll ride with you on that? 4.75. 4.75. No, I mean, look, nobody's higher on the Utah bandwagon than me. Uh, they were number eight in the preseason poll, and I said that was too low. Um, Florida, yeah, they're they're not uh they're not ranked, but they're one of those programs that you kind of feel like they're always not far from that. And it's just gonna depend on obviously how well they adjust to Billy Napier. I do think Anthony Richardson is poised to have a breakout season. So and it's a big game for Utah. The, they need Utah needs to win that game or everybody's going to be like, ah, oh, they're a fraud. They couldn't even beat the sixth best team in the SEC. Let's get to this other matchup you were kind of alluding to, which is, you know, next on the time slot. And that is Army at Coastal Carolina <laughs> from Brooks Stadium and Conway. How did, um, how did you even find that one? It's on uh, ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, well, I think I'm in the green room that day, fortunately, so I will be able to watch it. That actually I, is a good game. That I, is a really fun I agree matchup. with you. That is I a would, fun matchup. Grayson McCall. I would have loved it if that was in week zero and had more uh, room to itself. But I think that's, I mean, Grayson McCall against Army. I mean, come on. Why can't they put that on one of the ESPN networks and bump? Uh, let's see what I would bump for that. The NC State East Carolina game. That's on noon on ESPN. You know, NC, you know, like I could talk myself. East Carolina is a terrific running back against the, you know, one of the two best linebacker cores in the country. I don't think that's a bad matchup. And actually opposite that, I didn't even notice this one the first time is UNC at Appalachian state. Yeah. That's good too. Wow. This is a good Saturday. Um, Obviously Ohio state, Notre Dame is a five. I don't even think we need to explain why. Yeah. Um, I would agree. I would agree. Um, and then in the Pac-12 after dark window. Before Boise's... we get to that. Yeah. Like, oh, did you want to put a grade on Army Coastal Carolina? I do. I think we need to button it up. Um, I would give that a solid four. Me too. 
Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the Army Wake Forest matchup last year. Um, but the difference is Coastal Carolina's offense is in some way a, I don't know how to put it, a cousin, an offspring of the Army offense. It's got that option component to it. Mm, it's a cousin. Um, Second I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, a couple of other ones in the in there. Are we going to talk about Ohio State Notre Dame? Or we just know that, like, I don't know what else to say. It's number two yeah. versus number five. It's Marcus Freeman against his alma mater. Blah 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 blah. It's a five. Yeah, all good. A um, couple of other ones that are a little uh, curiosity games, and I don't know if this is the Pac-12 after dark or not. But Boise State at Oregon State. That is the Pac-12 after dark game on yeah. ESPN. Um, I will give that one a four. I'll give that one a four. Uh, you're going to pay any mind to the FS1 game. Uh, Sean Lewis is a really good coach at Kent State. It will be the first game of Kalen DeBoer at UW. Yes, I because I already tipped off my upset special for week one uh, when somebody asked me in the mailbag last week for some possible MAC upsets this year. I think that one sets up perfectly because I think Sean Lewis has built a really good program there. They haven't really had that, that you know, breakthrough power five win i don't think unless i'm forgetting and yeah i mean washington may well go on to great things under kaylin DeBoer, but it's still a a, a team that really struggled last year and i'm not sure i see the pieces for a huge improvement in year one by the way before before we get to the sunday game i'm curious maybe you know the answer to this so western kentucky at hawaii is listed as an 859 kickoff why is it 8.59? Well, so 11.59 Eastern, that's what they usually do for the Hawaii games, just to be able to say that they were played on this day. I see. I see. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know why it's so important to include yeah, it on like, Saturday. We have a, yeah, we have a Sunday game the next day, and it's a pretty good one. Florida State at LSU. Brian Kelly's first game. Yep, that's a five. That would be a four seven five for me okay yeah I, I could go with that force i mean i feel like this game the problem is with that ohio state notre dame game i feel like in some ways everything beneath that like that can be the only in some ways that can be the only five-star game and i feel like that will not like my gut is ohio state will pull away from them and that will not be a competitive game in the fourth quarter um Part of me hopes I, I'm wrong because I don't want to watch it. But I, I, mean, I don't pull. What do you mean by pull? Like, give me a like a, a what would the final like margin I think, be? I think the final margin will be something like, you know, probably 45 to 24. I just wow. think that not a lot Notre of faith Dame, in that defense. I just don't know if Notre, I, I, it's a lot of faith in how explosive Ohio State's offense is. And it's mm-hmm. also Notre Dame, you know, is really shorthanded at receiver. It's a freshman quarterback, make, you know, not a freshman, but, you know, Tyler Buckner's first big, big start. And it's in a game where I don't know how many, it's, it's almost like having a three point shooting contest against Steph Curry. You know, like to me, that's a worry thing. Um, the Sunday game, Florida State at LSU. Feels to me like it has Joe Test vibes being like it's going to be a fun back and forth kind of drama filled game. And somebody's going to pull pull through and there may be, you know, a, you know, we'll be buzzing about because it's the only game on TV that day. But I could see it being 
yeah, neither one of these teams is actually going to turn out to be as good as we feel about them coming out of it. Well, that's kind of the tradition of these Sunday night games. The first one, if you recall, was the Texas Notre Dame Joe Tess. Oh, I Texas is back, right? Very deceiving result. Last year's game was that Florida State, that crazy uh, Notre Dame Florida State game. Mackenzie Milton got in. They had a huge comeback and almost beat them. And it uh, and it it I don't think it ended up predicting anything for either team. So whatever happens in this game, people will overreact to it. For me, it's more about like LSU is a complete wild card team. Um, not just because of Brian Kelly, but because they've turned over that roster uh, considerably. Jane Daniels from Arizona, Arizona State, the possibly the starting quarterback with um, you know the Miles Brennan retiring from football this week as a as a potential hint. So, and I don't know what to expect of Florida State other than I think I said it on here a couple weeks ago that I'm still a Mike Norvell believer. So a lot of curiosity around that one. And then um, Monday night, we wrap it up with Clemson at Georgia Tech. Uh, it's the only game on TV. I will give it a three and a half. Hmm. I was actually going to say four. Um, really? Even though I do think it'll be a blowout. I think Georgia Tech is really, really bad. Um, but what I want to see from Clemson, given what I just said, is that they come out and score 40 something points. If this is going to be another 24 to set, if this is a 24 seven type win, that doesn't bode well for DJ and Will Shipley and, and that Clemson offense that struggled so badly last year. Feel free to disagree with us before we get to the mailbag. We're going to transition here. We are going to talk about next. We're going to talk about the Manti Teo documentary that came out on Netflix this week. And we're bringing on our good friend from USA Today, Lindsay Schnell. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. All right, Stu. So as we're taping this, it is Wednesday morning. We had a little bit of an audible for the audible. Uh, <laughs> last night, you texted me at some point after dinner, maybe even late. It was probably like eight o'clock going, I'm watching this. I'm going to watch this Manti Teo documentary. And I was kind of dismissive of it. I'll be honest. I had seen ESPN had done something about Manti Teo look back like two years ago. I watched it for an hour or whatever it was and just kind of came away underwhelmed and just, you know, whatever. Then our friend Lindsay Schnell, um, now of USA Today, sports enterprise writer, uh, formerly of Sports Illustrated, and uh, a a good friend of ours was texting me at the same time about it. And she basically got me. It's honestly the first thing I've looked at on Netflix ever because I don't watch seem to watch anything other than actual sports. So I was like, all right. Then why are you paying for Netflix? No kidding. Because I have a wife and kids. I see. So So the the actual chronology, Bruce, is that, I mean, I had only heard about this thing for the first time, like the day before. For some reason, Chrissy Teigen was tweeting about it. And that started making her. She's an executive producer. Ah, okay. Pat McAfee was also tweeting about it. And that 
and kind of got it oh, on my wow. radar a little as well. So as I was putting that on to bed, I get a text from Lindsay. It says, you've got to watch this Manti Teo documentary. I just started it. I was like, oh, okay. I was going to read a book, but I'll do that instead. And then I text, so that's the order of events. Lindsay told me about it. We both told you about it. And then we all ended up watching it basically at the same time. But I'm the catalyst. I've, I've like to think that I like twisted both of your arms to do it and it worked. And this is exactly what I wanted. I texted both of you separately can you please watch this and then do an audible podcast about it? Because I'm absolutely dying while watching it. And I have since convinced it's Wednesday morning, as Bruce pointed out, I've since convinced like four other friends to watch it. All right. So here we are, by the way, the official title is untold. It's part of a series untold the girlfriend who didn't exist. It came out on Netflix, I believe on Tuesday, Lindsay, from what I could tell was just so into it. Like what? Mesmerized. All right. Tell us why. Like we all lived through this story in real time at the time. Why were you mesmerized? Well, first of all, we did all live through it, but there were a lot of details that I did not remember or did not know. Um, I guess we're going to have to do some spoilers to talk about it, but. Yeah, we're going to have to do one major spoiler, but it's not like this is like giving away the plot to Breaking Bad or something. So, Uh, right. Well, um, at the, at the very beginning, they introduced that the person who was behind the catfisher, Ronnie, is now a transgender woman. And they say that no one else interviewed in the documentary, like, n- knew that when they were being interviewed. So right off the bat, I mean, that, that's a hook <laughs> that's going to pull you in. But I didn't know... I was unaware of the fact that after Lene, the, the girlfriend, had died... But then she like that she came back, back to life from the dead. I and it's it's I've heard conflicting views from people about if that was ever like really reported. And I think that what was most striking to me overall in watching it is it was only 10 years ago, but it feels like a lot longer because we have had so many frank conversations about athletes and mental health and athletes being open about, you know, this. I I'm really struggling with this because people on social media are being so cruel. This was a level of deception. And then, and then the fallout from it, the way that Manti Teo became such a laughing stock, like with the mainstream media it, in late in the documentary, they show that at one point they did a, it was a, was it a Manti Teo bobblehead? It was, and they gave oof. away empty bobblehead boxes like yeah, like a minor league game yeah. yeah and there was also an snl skit where i think it's bobby moynihan yeah. pretends to be him and it's just like you know like it was it was so harsh and i think for me just thinking about it in real time because i remembered when the deadspin story ran i remember being because they show footage of the heisman presentation where it's him colin klein and johnny manzel i remember being there and i remember thinking back to some of the way Manti Teo um, answered questions and seemed to offer up to like openly talked about her, Lene Kua, when it was like he was bringing her up more than people were asking. And I was, you know, I, I, and this is the part where I like watched it and I came away with, with a lot of, um, admiration for Manti Teo for how he's come through this. It was just kind of the more I watched it, the more I was kind of in awe of how, like with what I thought the documentary did a really 
impressive job of doing was setting up Manti Teo as a person, as a young man coming out of Hawaii and his value system and how he was raised. And because I kept on thinking, how naive must you have been to fall like to fall yeah. for all this where you never talk to this person and you portrayed it like the relationship to be something it wasn't um, that it couldn't be. You know, how do you get sucked down this rabbit hole? And I thought they did a really good job. Like Lindsay is, you know, n- you know, full disclosure, went to Oregon State. There's a former Oregon State quarterback who's like, there's a lot of random. One of my like, favorite kind of moments, Bruce. Lyle Moival, um, I don't Got remember. Got catfished by a, the same person. Yeah, yeah one of her past a, relationships. Yeah, but to a lesser degree, and I think because it was somebody in the Polynesian community, and they talk a lot about how that connection could be formed um, and how a trust level is there. And so, you know, there was a lot of stuff that that I remember thinking about, you know, as we're reporting on Manti Teo back, whatever it is, eight years ago, 10 years ago, where you're like, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense. How did, and then over time, because they had everybody talking about it in real time or in retrospect, the pieces are starting to like, you're starting to look at them in a different light. And I just, I don't know if I would call it an epiphany because I think if you didn't see it and if you don't see Manti Teo on camera, I think you probably are dismissive of him and you're probably dismissive of this story. And like, I don't know where we go because I'm glad you brought up the mental health piece of this, Lindsay. But like, there is a part of this where he is talking about how his grandmother has just died. It's that day. And Lene Kakua, the person, Renaya, you know, Tui Asobo at that point is talking about like, you know, just being pretty rudderless. And at that point is basically like the reaction is I'm going to die on that day and, and piles that on him emotionally. And he was like, I was broken. And it just like, and wasn't it during the season? It was during the season. It was right before they played, you know, the Michigan state game, yeah. but it was that day. Right. And it's just like, that was the reaction of, of, you know, like, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to kill off my character and put that on him too. Right. And again, they, I thought they did a really interesting storytelling job of talking about how he wanted to go to USC you know, where there was a lot of Polynesian players is great history. Which, of by that. the way, I did not remember that part at all. Yeah. And I didn't remember it in the detail that they told it in. I'm not saying it didn't exist, but that he didn't actually commit to Notre Dame until signing day. I didn't I didn't remember that. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But so they go through that. And so all of a sudden now you have a player who's kind of now he had Robbie Toma, who is his best friend who came with him to Notre Dame from Hawaii. But, you know, he's he's way away from where he is while he's experiencing this. And I think because there was a more of a uniqueness aspect of his culture and who he was, and there was like a sign from God as he talked about why he went to Notre Dame. Yeah, his faith. I I don't think you can discount that. And I was thinking that maybe part of the reason I'm so interested in this story is, you know, I've written extensively on Marcus Mariota and Polynesian and, and culture and football culture in Hawaii. And I like I think that connection was really genuine for Manti, which is why when you're watching it. It's really sad. I mean, there are parts that are absurd. Like at one point, Lene Kakua is giving the best linebacker in college football, like coaching advice. <laughs> like this guy's a Heisman finalist and she's telling him, you know, to like remember to plug the A gap or something. It's, <laughs> it's just wild. But then also I, I, I do think that like that he was really craving that connection. And 
you know, Sue, I think you said it perfectly when we were texting, when you said, you know, the level of manipulation and deceit is just staggering. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't just Manti, like Lene, and I keep using, uh, you know, quote marks is talking to air quotes is talk to his parents. And then when, and then when they killed her off, they had her brother who was actually Ronnie talk to his parents. Like, well, that's the thing that this one, this one person, Ronnie, like the extent that the level to which they kept this thing going where, okay, now Lene is on life support, but the same person in a different voice, apparently is talking to Manti as Lene's brother. And then Lene dies and he still keeps up the ruse that he's now talking to brothers and, then, and cousins and then meets him in person at the USC game and brings the little kid. I miss Angie What is happening? I'll say this. It's, it's a good thing we didn't come on and record this right after I watched it because I was infuriated. My yeah. rea- I saw somebody on Twitter yesterday who I respect say they watched it and it was entertaining. I'm like, that's not the word I would use. Like it was very interesting. But I can't say that, I mean, just the unspeakable cruelty that that this scheme involved. And then I would also say there was a lot of cruelty once it was uncovered from various people in the media and the public and like the the shit that this guy went through and is still living with to this day is not entertaining. It's maddening. Again, to the mental health point, I think it's really remarkable that there have been like, hopefully he never that he didn't self-harm. You know, I, I think there we have all read stories about young kids who who take their own lives because of online bullying. And this was that on a very public stage. And it was such a bizarre story. One thing I didn't realize until I watched the documentary. And I think this is why it's good, like to watch it and kind of because like you said, we were living it, we were covering it. But um, how close like, I thought he had known for quite a while by the time the Deadspin story came out. And that's not the case. Like, he was just starting to understand that he had been catfished when it was revealed. And, I mean, I think that it's worth watching if you're a college football fan and you pay attention. Because I was shocked that they got Jack Swarbrick to sit for it. Like, he talks extensively and he explains a lot about how much Manti meant to the Notre Dame community. Again, I think that that's, you know, he was... The Golden Boy, which like he was the Notre Dame football family and and fans were so invested in him. And like when you hear this heartbreaking story that he went through, like you can't help but root for him. But now, I mean, when I was watching it last night, I forgot that it's like she allegedly gets into this car accident. And while they're saving her from her life threatening injuries. They discover leukemia. Like what? That doesn't happen on Lifetime movies. And no one like raised a red flag. I also Because think- because it's important to remember that in 2012, had you heard the phrase catfishing? Yes, still it was it was a TV show on MTV. It was a TV show on MTV, but but that doesn't mean like what section of the public watches MTV reality shows? Like Well, that's I I remember having seen an episode of it. But it, I'm just saying to the general public, this was a, this was very, this wasn't very early in Twitter and Facebook. And like it, to most of the public, it was incomprehensible how somebody could fall for this. Right. We understand well, it a lot more now, but at the time, and, and I, 
I believe that the reason the idea that the, the insane notion that he he was in on it and he did this to help himself get to that, the reason that took hold is because for some people that was actually more believable than that he would have been that he would have never caught on to the fact that his girlfriend didn't exist. Well, I think, Stu, to me, the part that why there was some level people thought used the term in this, you, you see it come up in the documentary, the word is complicit to some degree was because I think for a lot of people, it was it's hard to imagine that there was never any, you know, like people were, you know, like that they never were together at any point. Right. It was not like he went on a LDS mission for two years. Right. At some point, like this woman is in is in California. Like if it went on this long, you never got it's together standard. for. Yeah. you Yeah. At Stanford, you never like, you know, you know, got together for a weekend. She never came to visit you in Notre Dame. Like, so that's the part where I think people are like, it doesn't it didn't add up to me. And especially because and I remembered this from either the Heisman or when after they beat USC out here um, to go to the playoff or go to the title game, I remembered you know, the way he talked about her kind of offered it up. I was like, just if it was that degree, I don't think you would, you know, you would kind of go in that direction. I don't think, but again, like, what do we know? You know, it's like, this is his perspective. To your point about, um, since you work in TV now, I would love to hear your take on this. Cause one thing that's kind of wild to me is it was like, they talked about it at the Heisman ceremony, right? Okay, you know, we all know that when you put when they when we watch those little packages, like during the Heisman ceremony, there's a lot of people that play a part in getting that together. Wouldn't it be a red flag to someone at ESPN when they were asking him about this? And they're like, can we have a photo of you two together? And then he's like, oh, we never met in person. Like, I, I'm not saying. Wait, wait, wait. That- did he say that to ESPN that he'd never met her in person? No, I, I don't know. I don't no. I don't know. I'm just saying that. But like, you're just usually- talking about for the feature packet look yeah i mean all of us at one point Stu for a long time Lindsay for a little me for like 25 seconds all worked at sports illustrated they had fact checking for this yeah right? right and he's on the cover and i'm guessing but i don't know this Stu could speak to this better than probably certainly me if this story were to have happened i mean probably it's like timing of the catfishing you know thing coming up but if this happened maybe back when Stu first got to si where there was probably like a more detail i don't know do they end up do they end up saying hey this doesn't add up there i mean all right so so they also talked extensively to the two deadspin writers who who broke the story as Lindsay knows i have very very mixed feelings about deadspin's role in this i was never a fan of deadspin in the first place so on the one hand like what an amazing you know to be able to piece that together all the who how does they know this person they found the picture they did there's a lot of great Google investigative journals. But they girl, also I've got questions about did she not have the internet for like five years? I know, right? Someone created a completely different identity using her photo and she never caught on, especially in this small colony Polynesian culture. Right. Going. But they also don't hide the fact that and one of the guys was an intern at the time, that they from the second they got that we tipster email. Sports Illustrated, by the way. Correct. From the second they got that tipster email. They were clearly on a mission 
to, and they flat out said it, right? Like expose ESPN and Sports Illustrated for falling for this hoax. Like we're going to make, make them look stupid. We're going to make ESPN look stupid. Foolish. That was their, make that was their foolish. goal from the first minute. And what I would say to that is there is one fact that the Sports Illustrated fact checkers should have caught not having gone to Stanford, right? If it says in the story, went to Stanford, you have to check with Stanford to make sure she went to Stanford. But the notion that ESPN or SI or anybody would have thought to check if this person existed is ridiculous. That would never, ever, ever enter any, well now, but at the time, why would you possibly think, hey, we should probably check to see if this girlfriend exists. Especially because along with her Facebook profile where they were trading all these messages, Ronnie had created a Twitter account for Lene and she was like tweeting things about Manti, like, oh, mama didn't raise no fool. I know what's happening when you're not calling me back. Like, <laughs> it, it really was. So, again, the level of deception this took. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because, you know, coincidentally, Monday night was the finale of Better Call Saul. I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but that is a character, if anybody's ever seen any of that show, who's is like a master at manipulation and conning people and step, you know, one thing. And this was that on a, uh, but in like, you know, obviously not nearly the same fashion. And I mean, the difference is he, he became a professional at that. This is this one guy. He was a guy at the time who was creating this elaborate web of lies just to keep this thing going. I think the other thing you realize is, you know, at the time it was like, God, that, you know, this person, the idea of catfishing, right. Is that this person's getting some sort of sick, perverse thrill out of, uh, uh, making somebody look stupid. Mm-hmm. No, this person thought they were in love with Manti Teo. And, yeah. and that's why they made Manti a better person. Yeah. And made, this person important. genuinely believes that they contributed to his success on the field last year, that year with their motivational speeches. And then let's talk about probably the most revolting part of it all right and Lindsay was texting me about this so now they are naya and naya doesn't seem to have hardly any remorse about this whole thing because naya views it as part of her journey into figuring out her sex her her gender identity and that she really was meant to be a woman right and, and i yes and i don't think that the producers like really hold her feet to the fire like one question we've all had and this I would, someone needs to do a story on this. Maybe one of us. How, how did she not get charged with? How did she not get charged with something? How did Manti, and maybe he just wanted to let this go. And maybe that's why, but like, I feel like he could have sued her for a a lot of money because there's no question his draft stat stock plummeted because of the whole situation. The, um, just a couple of things to point out, uh, because I did some reading on this after, um, so one, the producers in a story I had seen late last night had had talked about how this had been basically two years in the works. So the the versions of Ranaya slash Naya is was evolving in terms of when they talked to talk to them at that point and then later okay. on. So there's some of that is different. The other thing was, and I thought this was really interesting. So Manti had said he wasn't you know really inspired to do to go public with this story after cameron jordan when he was with the saints took a bunch of saints players to a jay-z concert and he said and i meant i said this on i guess cbs this morning the other day 
At the concert, Jay-Z opens up with saying these words, you cannot heal what you don't reveal. And it may have been just some random words to everybody. But for me, this is a man saying, at that time, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I thought, um, Stu, you know, I'm giving full disclosure, Stu didn't finish the story, finish it last night. He told me he had about a half hour left. I said, Stu, you got to at least watch the last five minutes because like, you know, it just like, very power. It's very, very powerful. It's very yeah. powerful. Yeah. It's very powerful. And the, like, you know, it's very inspiring to be honest, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of toxicity and a lot of crap. And we all have see a lot of crap on our social media a lot. And it's yeah. ugly at times. And I feel like a lot of it plays to our own worst instincts, right? And as somebody who was, I remembered, we didn't know, this doesn't come up a ton in the documentary, but I remember, I felt like it was Friday night when Jeremy Schaaf did some interview with uh, with Teo, and it was kind of getting refed back into ESPN almost in real time and everything. And it was just like, you know, coming away from it, you're feeling a certain way about like, about Manti Teo and Notre Dame at the time that, you know, I definitely, you know, feel like differently than I did then. Um, but there was just such a circus element of it. You know, like there's part, I, I know we want to rap, but there's parts of it where at one point they have somebody sitting down on camera. I think they shut their phone and like, okay, who's this going to be? And they're like, oh, fuck, it's Dr. Phil. And it's like <laughs> as if this doesn't look more like a circus act now. And they go through the Renaya piece of it. Right. And. There's just a lot of things which just kind of how about Katie Couric, one of the most respected journalists in TV history, asking Manti Teo, "Are you gay?" With like no, I mean, it was terrible. Like she needs to issue an apology, in my opinion, immediately. Let me ask. I have uh, I have a question for you too. I actually have two questions for you too. First, I do want to say really quickly that Jay Z is the greatest lyricist of our time. Um, <laughs> what? Do you think that this changed at all the way that athletes in general, but especially college football players who are away from home for the first time are told, like a lot of times they're kind of warned by coaches, right? And support staff. Hey, like be careful of who tries to get close to you. I would be really curious to know if this changed anything. Um, Honestly, Manti, like to your point, Bruce, you know, he is so graceful in at the end he could come he could come talk to people about this like yeah hey be aware but it made me wonder that and then the other thing I was curious about is I think one reason this is interesting for us is because we were all in the media and we were covering him to some degree and we knew the people that had done like we all know Pete Thamel who had written this big cover story on him did does or did this change how you two approach reporting on anyone or any topic or how you write a profile? Uh, for me, uh, a couple of things. So one, I definitely think if I reach out to somebody on social media and it's not somebody who's, you know, established, you know, I'm not reaching out to Kirby Smart or whoever it is, but if it's somebody who's kind of not in the mainstream, I'm a little leery if it's sensitive of like, is this person who they say they are, right? Um, I had something, I worked on a, a story about the Wakey Leaks um, 
deal uh, two months ago and I reached out to somebody who happened to follow me and I wasn't sure that they were who they said they were initially. Um, initially. And then you kind of go through and say, okay, let, this stuff checks out. But I definitely am sensitive of somebody, you know, let's say you get the number of a player and he's not really well known and you call and he answers the phone and he starts talking to you and says some crazy stuff and they're like, okay, is that really him or is his buddy answering the phone and saying crazy stuff? Like, look, you know, the guy who won the Heisman that year, Johnny, Johnny had people around him. It wouldn't shock me if somebody called up Johnny, Nate or one of his buddies grabbed the phone. Now, you know, That's like, true. you know, you never know what you're getting. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely, you know, yeah, I am, I am, super sensitive to that about that thinking about it what about so, you Lin, well Lindsay, you you kind of you kind of tipped me off that you're going to ask this question so i thought about it <laughs> and i don't know that i can pinpoint manti's story exactly for this but at some point i definitely you think about okay a year this was 2012 2011 was the J jerry sandusky scandal where joe paterno's whole kind of like godly image if you will comes comes crashing down it was definitely a thing that first decade or so of covering college football where people just gravitated toward like people we mythologized people and so you could see where the manti teo story would just like take oh, off this 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 going for it right like all in and i'm i i'm very cautious about doing that kind of story now like not that you should never do a feel-good story but you know, you approach it a little more skeptically at some point this year, somebody's going to do an Urban Meyer, you know, picking himself up and recovering, you know, back you redemption. Who's gonna write it? And I'm going to, and I'm going to puke and I'm going to puke. Like, you know, there has to reach a point where the traditional narrative, it's a, it's the oldest narrative in sports writing or the, the redemption story or the rags. I mean, look at the NFL draft, right? The NFL draft is like of the 32 guys that go in the first round, 22 of them, as soon as they come up to Susie Colbert, whoever like, overcame this, overcame that, overcame this. And I'm not trivializing that because as far, as far as I know, they are all real things that happen. But we just people are just such suckers to go straight for that that story angle. And, you know, I just I think I just think much more skeptically about those things now. What I think about a lot is we are all. When, as reporters, and this is not just in sports, any reporter, we're trusting that people are telling us the truth, you know, not, not just with like my girlfriend and I talked to her when she was on life support, but, you know, you go to a breaking news scene and there was a shooting or there was a car accident and you're talking to someone and they're like, oh yeah, I saw it. This is what happened. Like you report that. Right. Um, and we've all done stories where we're writing about an athlete or a coach who overcame something. And they say, you know, one night I was watching a game or I was at a Jay-Z concert and this happened. And you, you just kind of trust that they're telling the truth. Um, and Can I, I offer something up. We, we all worked at SI and this is a magazine thing where, you know, like, this is a to trivialize something. Let's talk about like anything you, know, you keep bringing that up because I've honestly no. forgotten that you worked for it. <laughs> it was so brief. Go ahead. 
Stu has had Stu has had moments in the bathroom after going to Tex Mex on Friday night. It probably lasted longer than my SI career. <laughs> what, a, what an so, unnecessarily wow. graphic. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, okay, I, so yeah, that, thanks for so that let, though. Let's say I go to um, let's say I'm working on Freaks List and somebody tells me, yeah, this guy vertical jump 48 inches. I'm like, ah, well, I don't oh know yeah, Freaks List has got to be an entire exercise in this but i am making a point to say you know so and so said so at least it's you know like there what's tricky when you get into the i know what you're talking about i know where you're going when you get into like editors take out that he said they want scenes si want scenes you know like gary smith probably the greatest magazine writer in the history of magazines like there are some things where there's artistic license going on of yes. stuff that he wasn't at that, you know, you're talking, recreates, yeah. recreates and, dialogue. And, it's, and it's, and it's artistic and everything else. And, you know, that's what I think magazines are trying to do. And a lot of times you're doing it from the perspective of one person or, yes. you know, like their account and um, you know, fact checkers, Fact checkers can be the enemy of that because they can shoot holes through things pretty fast, right? So yeah, that's but you know the problem is all of these publications, as everybody's trimmed and saved money, like you know, twenty years ago, SI had like an army of people who were that was their job, fact checkers, and then they started going through rounds of layoffs, and suddenly now now, now, now the interns were fact checking, and that's I was a fact uh, checker when I was an intern. Before. Like the last line of defense here, you're trusting it to. Like Lindsay, you were a great intern, but I'm there. Were, if you recall, there <laughs> in your well, class, the other, that the other piece of that is we're all under pressure to get things out faster. Yeah, you know, like that. So I, I just, it's a, it's a very bizarre situation. Um, I feel empathy for a lot of people, but more, more for Manti than anyone, just because, again, it was so cruel the way like they're. I don't know, Bruce, uh, I would next suggest that you watch the Free Britney documentary. I don't remember if that was on Netflix or Hulu, but there was a big Britney Spears documentary that came out last year or the year before that really was an examination of how the media just destroyed her. And that's a big part of Manti's story in the second part of the Untold documentary. So I I think that I hope it made us all just a a little more skeptical, but... um, I think, you know, it was very real for him. And I, th- I think he genuinely did care about this non-existent person, which sounds crazy. But if you watch it, like, and again, his culture, his family, his faith is such a big part of who he is and wanting like that connection and to have his own family. Like it was just, if what bothered me was at the end, like Manti talks about like he went to therapy, which I thought was awesome. But like, did Naya go to therapy? Is Naya in therapy? They they just sort of like let her off the hook at the Naya, end. Naya actually says something to the effect of, "Do I wish I'd done things a little bit differently? Sure, but I think I needed to have Lene in order for me to figure out that I." And it's like, oh my god, you. I I I really think, and Bruce and I texted about this last night that it like gives transgender people like a bad rap really and there does. are definitely going to be people who watch this, who have no other like interaction with, or like introduction to transgender people. And like, that's, I, yeah, it was just, I, I want everyone to watch it because I think there's a lot of lessons to learn. If nothing else, like we all made jokes 
when it happened. And it just kind of makes you examine, maybe I shouldn't have said those things. I think that, yes, I agree with you. And, and I was thinking about it. Um, we've seen a lot of celebrities, sport athletes, whatnot, like, you know, go through that, like public humiliation on the biggest stage, but it's usually because of something they did. Yes. Tiger Woods became a laughingstock for a while there because of something he did. Right. Lance Armstrong is Lance Armstrong because it's something he did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like politicians, public figures um, who turn out to be not what they represent themselves to be. Manti Teo is the rare person who became a laughingstock for something that happened to him where he was the victim, a fraud victim. And I just think that's so, that's why I said last night, if we had this, I was so mad. I've calmed down, but uh, yeah. I think uh, it's true. I do really want to, we can end on this note too, to your question, Stu, about um, do people really know what catfishing is? So a friend told me this last night and then I looked it up because it of course is on the internet. So Gabe Pruitt, who played basketball at USC, got catfished in like 2006 or 2007, somewhere around there. Um, a girl uh, at Cal, so he was at SC, DM'd him before SC went up to play there and um, was like flirting with him or whatever. And he gave her his number and then they get there. And in the student cheering section, they had blown up their DMs. Uh, oh, no. the, the conversation and posted his phone number. <laughs> so, oh, no. which makes me think that if Manti had gone to SC, SC would have been ready for this. <laughs> Notre Dame definitely wasn't, to say yeah. the least. All right, Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay, thank, thank you. you. For joining us. This was a much better conversation with with your perspective. <laughs> well, I thank you both for watching it, for listening to my recommendation, and. Uh, for continuing to indulge me when I, now that I'm back in the sports fold, you know, we'll get to talk even more. Awesome. Okay. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. As always, uh, you can follow her. What is your Twitter handle, Lindsay? Uh, it's Lindsay with an A underscore Schnell. Uh, and I'm at USA Today writing about everything. Oh, I would, I'm just gonna let you guys chew on this for a second. Who sent the tip to Deadspin? I want a documentary on that next. I don't know, That's but the person three. who sent the tip Definitely was set in motion right from the beginning. The notion that Manti was the one, you know, pulling the hoax. Um, but that's 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 a whole other story. So, all right, we'll see you soon, Lindsay. Okay, Thank thanks, you. guys. All right, Stu. Uh, let's get to the mailbag. Obviously, our conversation was very interesting with Lindsay. But as always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com the first question is from john in Louisville, north carolina hey guys the norm is that two teams not ranked will wind up in the final top 10 last year there were actually four teams so if you have to go with the two or four unranked teams who do you think is most likely to finish in the top 10 you know let's just start with the acknowledgement that anybody you name is a complete guess okay this is a complete guess but is there somebody in that others receiving votes or whatnot that if everything comes together, they could finish in the top 10. Um, my first one would be uh, Iowa. Because wasn't Iowa a top 10 team last year? And I don't know if they're that much different of a team. Mm-hmm. And my yeah. second one would be Kansas State, who I talked about, I think, on last week's pod as the possible Big 12 sleeper. 
Okay, you got one of my teams. I would agree on Kansas State on the wild card. Mm-hmm. The other one I will take, I will take UCLA. Of course, of course you're taking UCLA. No, I've seen them and I know that they have I know that they have I don't know if their defense is going to be good enough, but I know they can be really good on offense. I mean, I think the and thing I think, going I also think they can start out 5 and 0 before Utah comes in there to play them. So I, think I mean, I think to get some momentum. DTR and Zach Charbonnet are very good. I mean, I think the thing UCLA has going for it is that the Pac-12 is in such transition, turmoil, however you want to call it, right? You know, you look at the teams that were picked one through three, Oregon, big coaching change, USC, big coaching change, Utah obviously being the stable one. So there is room for somebody in that conference to rise up, and and that could be UCLA. So actually, good answer. All right, this is one we alluded to earlier. Gordon from Atlanta. As a Georgia fan, can you help me scout Oregon? What do they do well? Who are their best players on offense and defense? What matchups are you interested in watching against Georgia? And do they have more than a puncher's chance on September 3rd? Okay, I do think they have a puncher's chance. Dan Lanning knows about as much about Georgia as any coach that will play them, including the ones in the SEC, because he was the old defensive coordinator. What does Oregon do well? Oregon is very physical. I had a bunch of their guys on my freaks list. Uh, Noah Sewell will be as, as impressive as any player, probably outside of Will Anderson. And Justin Flo, who, who was great in one game and then got injured and missed the rest of the season, uh, is an explosive linebacker. DJ Johnson, if he can stay healthy and should be healthy in the opener, is a playmaker. Christian Gonzalez is a big athletic cornerback. They have a lot of guys. Brandon Dorless is a disruptive guy. That's a lot of pieces that are going to be coming at them. Mario Cristobal felt like his old line that he had that he had recruited years ago was going to be really good. Those a lot of those guys are still there. Um, in terms of a scouting report on their offense, the thing that's tricky here is Kenny Dillingham, who came from Florida State, who goes way back with Lanning. He has never really been a plate. He's never really called in the game. And now you're going up against, even with a lot of guys Georgia lost on defense, there's still some real dudes there. So I think that's the part that why I think it's going to be a, you know, how much are you buying into Bo Nix lighting up a team that he has played, you know, a program he's familiar with from being in the SEC. But do you think Bo Nix can, the good Bo Nix depends on if good Bo Nix shows up or bad Bo Nix shows up. Right. And, you, and nobody, uh, as every Auburn fan knows, you can never predict that from week to week. Well, the thing I would say is, you know, a lot of times in these high profile non-conference, ma- like think back to when Chip Kelly was at Oregon and they played U- LSU, uh, obviously Auburn in the national championship game. And for all that speed and, and explosiveness they had, they would get dominated in the trenches. If there's one thing Oregon has going for them is that Mario Cristobal stopped those lines of scrimmage quite well. So I don't think this is a situation where Georgia, who may be, who last year for sure was the most physical team in the country, is nece- it's like not a given to me that they're going to bulldoze them. I think that matchup could be much more of a draw. And then it's just a matter of, like you said, like is, is Bo Nix able to rise to the occasion in that game? Um, or is Georgia just going to, intercept him four times and that's the end of that okay Stu. let's add, let's talk about bo Nix's old school this question is from john bruce and sue i hope i'm hoping to get your takes on auburn in 2022 in an on the field football based way i understand that harson's handling the politics of being an sec head coach is not going well to say the least but the way i see it he has a roster that is about 
a top 20, top 30 kind of team in terms of on-paper talent, even after all the transfers, I think it would be crazy to suggest he can't coach and develop those players after how he achieved success at Auburn. In short, can you separate the narrative from the ball and explain why Auburn is expected to be so bad this year? I love the pod, and thanks for your insight. Thank you, John, for the kind words. Stu, how are you feeling about Auburn? I think there's something to that. I mean, they were picked seventh in the SEC West, and I think a lot of that is due to the perception that Brian Harson, that his program is a sinking ship. Um, and it's easy to forget that they were actually six and two at one point last season. And most importantly, probably should have beaten Alabama in the Iron Bowl, you know, held them to three points for 59 minutes and however many seconds. So, yes, I get where he's coming from on that. Um, now, they did lose some of their better uh defensive players but they've got tank bigsby back excellent running back it's unclear i mean the choices at quarterback calzada and tj finley both transfers from others teams in the sec i'm not sure how confident i feel in all that so you know they have a, a pretty uh, good measuring stick game penn state's coming to town obviously they lost to them in state college last year um win that game and i think that might be you know a confidence builder and a sign that they could be better than expected. Um, here's the thing. Like I'm kind of of the opinion that maybe they aren't like that. They probably aren't the worst team in the sec West, but who are you saying that if you're not, if you're saying it's not them, who are you saying it is? Yeah. On the transfer side. I mean, it's a transfer quarterback. That's not one of the two you mentioned who might be one to keep an eye on. That's Robbie Ashford. I know there's a little buzz about him. You know, Coy Moore comes from LSU. He's a good receiver, and they have some guys like DJ James, another guy came from Oregon, really good defensive back who I think has impressed them. There are pieces. I mean, I, I really like Tank Biz Bigsby as well. Um, I, I come at it the same way you did as well, Stu. I just think it's like if they were in a different division in college football, I don't think there would be so much of the sky is falling. And if they were in a place that was not so volatile, being, you know, how Auburn is, right? Um, you know, in, in a leadership capacity, I think that's, what's working, you know, against him. Uh, a lot is going to be, a lot is going to be determined on, you know, we talked about Scott Frost earlier in the podcast about what kind of start he gets. I think so much of that is going to be the same for Brian Arson. Can he get some momentum going and then all of a sudden get people to buy in who may be really skeptical and feel like it's only a matter of time. His seat is warm. Does it get a lot hotter? Or is he cool it down? I think that's why that Penn State game is crucial. I think that that, you know, even though Penn State didn't finish great last year, that's obviously a big respected national program. It'd be a big non-conference win and definitely buys him some time. If they lose and then they get off to a rough start in SEC play, then it's one of those things where oftentimes the noise just makes it impossible to ever, ever kind of get out of your own way. Um, this last one is from Matt. I think I know what your answer is going to be, Bruce. Love the show. I'm curious which team you think is better, Michigan or Michigan State. This year's game has the feel that it will determine who goes to the Rose Bowl at the expense of the other. I'm wondering if he means that Ohio State's going to fall out of the picture or that Ohio State's going to be in the playoff and these teams are going to be in the Rose Bowl. But anyway, so this year's matchup feels more important than ever before, that one could argue if Michigan beats Michigan State last year, they would have gotten the one seed and made the title game. Curious for your thoughts. Thank you and enjoy the season. To me, this one's a toss-up right now. Um, I, I, you know, it's interesting because I look at 
you know, the game is in Ann Arbor. I'm not sure if that's a humongous difference for them. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a toss. I mean, last year, Michigan point. State won the game, but Michigan proved to be the better team. So it's not yeah. so much about that game. It's who's going to finish with a better record this season. And I'm right with you. It's a toss up. Um, I know that's not the answer he was looking for. I, I mean, I have a lot of concerns about Michigan. It's, you know, I think losing the coordinators who had a profound impact on that program, losing obviously a transcendent star in Aiden Hutchinson, losing Dax Hill. I think that's a very underrated thing, but by, but Oh, Michigan state lost Kenneth Walker, the best running back yeah. in the country last season. I know that they got a couple notable transfers. I mean, Jarek Broussard was, was, was I think the Pac-12 offensive player of the year in the, uh, in the COVID season. And then he took a step back last year. I like Peyton Thorne. Um, I like Jaden Reed. I'm not as sure about their, I mean, obviously their cornerbacks were about as bad as it can get last year. So it's a toss up. I'm going to side with Michigan state solely because I have hey, a lot Jim of confidence. Arbaugh. You hate Jim Arbaugh. No, it's because I have, Oh, it's more that I have a lot of confidence in Mel Tucker. And I, I, I feel like that program's heading in the right direction. It's not that I hate Jim Harbaugh. He clearly <laughs> proved me wrong last year. But you got to admit, since the season ended, he basically all but took an NFL, would have been at an NFL job right now if he hadn't bombed his interview, lost the coordinators, is not recruiting well. Um, like the momentum, it just feels like that season didn't even happen at this point. The momentum has already started sliding back in the wrong direction. Uh, will be interesting. That being said, I, I... you tell me they go 10 and 2, I believe you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just my vibe around talking to some of the players there was there's a big chip on their shoulder still. It felt kind of similar to what it did with talking to Josh Ross and Aiden Hutchinson a year ago. Um, so I don't, you know. Do you I think there's know. a single team in America whose players don't feel like they have a chip on their shoulder for some reason or another right now? I don't that, know. That's that's, that's college guys football, in, right? Maybe maybe the guys in Columbus. I don't know. No, they um, definitely have a chip on their shoulder. They lost to Michigan last year. There you Alabama go. has a chip on his shoulder because it lost in the title game. Georgia has a chip on his shoulder because it's like they won the national title game and everybody's already assuming they won't win it this year. You There's know, no team in the country you know whose players wouldn't tell you they have a chip on their shoulder. Maybe Baylor. Dave Aranda doesn't feel like he's a chip on the shoulder kind of person. Yeah, but I'm talking about the players. You said I yeah, talked to the players and they... Yeah. I bet you if we talked to a couple of Baylor players, they'd say, yeah, we, you know, we, we won the big 12 and everybody still thinks like we're not as good as Oklahoma and Texas. You know, we have a chip on our shoulder. Yeah. Do you have a chip on your shoulder? <laughs> not really, <laughs> but I'm not trying to win a championship. So okay. as well, always, on that note, yeah. Send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. There's only one more podcast, Bruce, before the season starts. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.